Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. edition of the Racing Beat Podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. We hope you enjoyed last week's debut edition of the Racing Beat with NASCAR Hall of Famer Ray Evernham. And this week we have got drag racing royalty and also Ray Evernham's good buddy, Don the Snake Perdome. Don will be talking about his new book that just came out recently. Got a lot of, t- of ground to cover, a lot of time to talk about things, and I think you're really going to enjoy this interview. So l- without further ado, Let's get right to it with Don the Snake Perdome right here on the Racing Beat Podcast. Very pleased and honored to have Don Perdome, the snake, as our, the second guest on our podcast, the, the Racing Beat here on the Believe Podcast Network. And, you know, I mean, this is a real treat for me, not just as a reporter, but a fan, but also Don is a friend as well, too. And I just love talking. I love talking to you. I mean, you really are the coolest guy uh-huh. at racing. We're going to talk about that in a bit, but. <laughs> You know, the biggest thing that's going on for you right now in your life is the book. You know, you, you came out with a book that uh, was written by, or co-written with um, uh, Elena Shear. It's called Don the Snake Prudhomme, My Life Beyond the 1320. Tell me a little bit about how, you know, how the book has been received so far, but also how did the idea of the book come together too? Well, it's, uh, I was approached by uh, CarTech to do a book, mm-hmm. and I've been approached by other, you know, book people to, to do a book, but I didn't really want to get into uh, just doing a book about uh, my speed and ET and I won this race and that day the dog, you know, stuff that most people know about. So I wanted to do a book that would um, talk about my childhood. And I, I, I was hoping the book would, um, uh, people would, uh, after reading it, would understand me a little bit more because you know, during my days of uh, thundering out at the racetrack, I didn't really have a lot of time to uh, talk to people, to, to, to get to know the fans as much as I, I wish I had them. Mm-hmm. And I, I think a lot of them thought I was a pretty uptight guy, which I was, you know, and it spells that out in the book, but I was just trying to win races. But I was hoping this book would, that people would understand me a little bit more and know where that drive came from. Well, you did an excellent job. And I mean, I learned so much about you. And I've known you for, what, almost yeah. 35 years. I still know oh. a lot of things about it. But, you know, the one thing, and I, and I want to use it, I want to follow up that thing. Um, during your career, and you kind of alluded to it, you were always a very private person. You know, people really didn't get to know Don Prudhomme unless they were your really close friends, you know, in your inner circle of close friends. Um, was Was being private by design or did it just kind of evolve that way? And then now that you're out of, uh, you know, you're no longer competing or you're no longer team owner, you've become very much more uh, open, very much more public. And this book, obviously, is a very good indicator of that. Yeah, well, yeah, it is. Um, yeah, I was a pretty uptight guy, but you got to remember, man, and, and it spells it out in the book, the way I started in my childhood and, and the way I came up and painting cars and and having trouble with dyslexia and things like that in my life, that once I got my teeth into something, which it was drag racing, and I found out that I can make a living. Well, my God, I didn't want anybody 
to disturb that. I didn't want uh, anything to go wrong there. Uh, so I was very protective of what I was doing because I was scared I was going to lose it. So that's what drove me. What what was the biggest um, thing in your career? You know, be it you know when you were growing up uh, in high school, early part of drag racing. What was it? Was there one thing that really, uh, for lack of a better word, signaled what the snake was going to become, or who be, who was the, who the snake was going to become? I should say that way. <laughs> well, I didn't figure that out myself until I got got into the Road Kings of Burbank, which was a car club because right. I. Wasn't uh, I didn't think I would amount to much because of once again uh, uh, my my childhood coming up it was it was a pretty rough time and it spells that out in the book too but once I got into the road kings uh, you know and that sounds a little corny maybe that you got into a car club but you know really and truly in those days it was such a huge thing because not only did I find racing drag racing there I found a a, a family basically. Mm-hmm bunch of guys and we were we were we were really tight and uh and i thought maybe i could make something out of myself but getting into the car club the road kings of burbank was a huge step for me right and that's where i found not only racing but i found a family i found a bunch of guys that that uh and tommy ivo you know people like that that uh really really got me uh set in the right direction as far as going racing what now? How did the name the snake come about? I know it's in the book, but I wanted to get you know, make sure I ask you about it. Yeah, it, 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 it's not much of a story. <laughs> it's it's really being quick off the starting line. I was driving a car called the Greer Black and Verdon car, which is cars in Blue Bruce Myers uh, collection. It's a beautiful car. It, we were winning everything at the local drag strips and all around the country, actually. It was just hard to beat. And one of the guys in the crew started calling me Snake because I was quick off the starting line. And the next thing I know, the announcer did. And the next thing I know, uh, we went to Mattel Toy Company uh, with Tom McEwen, my all-time best friend. And the two of us, he had the nicknames Mongoose, I'm Snake. So after going to Mattel and them sponsoring us, I, I had the nickname forever. It was not, you know, it was, it was a handle. Exactly. And I, like it. and I like it. It's cool. Exactly. Now, the book's out now, uh, and you're also working on a documentary with Eric Anderson. And I've talked to Eric a few times. Uh, it sounds like it's going to be a really exciting project. I'm waiting for it to come out, though. You know what I mean? He, he, I know he said it may be another year or two before it comes out. But, I mean, uh, yeah. from what I understand from Eric, you know, you have really – it kind of is a – extension if you will of the book and it talks so much about you and you know you're coming up what you you know like you said in the book as well you know the the challenges you face and that kind of thing what, what are your thoughts about the documentary so far i mean he's i know he's done a lot of filming he's done interviewed a lot of people and that kind of thing yeah well i'm you know the the book took two years to do the book mm-hmm. and so a documentary is uh that in itself is a challenge because of the time and, and the cost to it so we're hoping to get it done here. It, it's going to take a lot more hard work, and uh, and he's looking for backing for it right now, and that's starting to look pretty good. So maybe maybe we'll even see it on Netflix. You know, great. I I would love to see it in there. Um, what are you doing these days? I mean, other you know what what's keeping you busy? Well, what, you know, what are you enjoying doing? That kind of thing. 
Well, you know, I don't have to tell you with this virus, you know, things have really changed completely. Here we are sitting on this uh, Zoom talk, you know, and before we would do it in person. But right. uh, no, things have changed a great deal. And uh, uh, last year uh, was a was a real problem with the uh, with the Austin Proc car running that car and John Force not running. And I've been a part of his team. I brought some sponsorship to him. Uh, couldn't think of a better guy to bring it to. And so we're trying to continue that this year. We get started in March. Uh, NHRA is kicking off the season in March. Uh, and we're still not sure about Austin Proc. We're trying to get the funding right for him. But right now, that's been a struggle. So hopefully, they keep your fingers crossed. We'll have Austin out there in Gainesville at the uh, first race of the year right. in March. One of the things I really uh admire about you is that you know you still have that competitive drive and you know the last couple of well yeah. not, not last year but the, the two previous years uh, you couldn't do it last year because of the covid thing but you went and did racing and off-road racing in baja and i understand you're yeah. you may be doing that again in, in april is that the, the next one yeah the next one's in april and of course they're having trouble down there in mexico with the virus too so so I was on the phone yesterday and we're trying to work out plans to go down and run the Enora 1000. It's a thousand mile race right. and you break it up in five days, which uh, makes it uh, a little easier. But, uh, you know, it looks like I'm going to run it. It looks like I'm officially going to run it. But the problem, Jerry, is I'm turning 80 and I'll be 80. I can't wait to read. I can't wait to read the press thing. Eighty-year-old going off-road racing. You know, instead of Don Perdon, it's going to be eighty. Eighty-year-old guy. Right, so, right, right. But I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go do it. And uh, what the hell? Why not? Exactly. Have you figured out who your co-driver will be? I mean, it's still going to be your uh, PJ or Parnelli Jones's grandson, or who are you going to be racing? I, I hope. I hope it will be Jagger. Yeah, I'm planning on Jagger Jones doing it with me. So. Uh, he doesn't quite know it yet, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. but, but I, well, he's so damn fast, you know, right. and I'm right. okay. I can go okay. You know, I've, I've had a lot of experience at it and I can run pretty hard, but we're in a Can-Am this year and it's all been redone and it's got more boost in it and it's, it's a fast car. And so, um, uh, he's, uh, but Jagger, Jagger's just really quick. You know, he's like 19 years old for Christ's sakes. And right. He flies. So I'll do a lot of navigating and he'll do a lot of, uh, he'll be the, the wheel man. Exactly. Now, um, in addition to that, I know you, uh, we talked a little bit before the recording here about, mm -hmm. you know, you're doing a lot of like, um, trips, you know, with your wife and, and, you know, yeah. trips and that kind of thing. Just mm -hmm. tell me about you know, the enjoyment of that kind of thing. Cause I mean, obviously that, you know, I mean, you've been with your wife for a long time, but you know, even, mm -hmm. you know, in these days, you know, of course with the virus, but you know, the fact that, you know, you and your wife are enjoying this thing, you know, you're both on your bikes, you're both going off road and that kind of thing. Uh, tell mm -hmm. me about just, you know, the, the enjoyment of, you know, being with well, the family. Cause you, you, you weren't able to be with the family a lot, you know, during your career, obviously as a racer and a team owner, but now you've got that time and I'm, I'm sure you're enjoying it. Yeah, really, and that's you're exactly right. Uh, we're leaving on the 11th February. Uh, what am I saying? February. Uh, when are we leaving? What the hell is that? what month are we into? We just went to the third or the fourth, isn't it? Right, right, right. February. Right. So we're leaving on the 11th. Yeah, I, I lose track of time. 
you know, it's, it's funny when you're not working, you don't care what day it is. <laughs> right, 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 right. I don't know if it's Monday or Tuesday or what, because who cares, you right, know? Right, right. But, uh, yeah, we're going down to Parker, Arizona, gonna, it's, it, on a PJ, PJ Jones, uh, Jagger's dad, PJ, has got an off-road trip planned. There's about seven of us who are going to take an off-road, and we'll be gone for, like, three, four days mm -hmm. out into the desert, you know, and... Uh, so I love doing stuff like that. And then when I'm, you know, really feeling good, we'll go down to Baja on the motorcycles and run Baja. And we're planning a trip going down to uh, the tip of Baja. It's another, you know, it's a thousand mile trip, but the highways down there now are pretty nice. And on a BMW road bike, uh, uh, all-terrain bike, it's, it's a lot of fun because we take off-road, you know, and dirt roads, all kinds of stuff. Right, exactly. Wherever two wheels will take you, you're going to go there, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Now, I understand that uh, you've got a new addition to the family. You got a new puppy. I understand. Tell me oh, about that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Gabby, yes, Gabby. She's a she's a golden retriever, and uh, she was a breeding dog. And mm -hmm. a fellow called and asked if we would take her in, and said, "Heck yeah!" You know, it's, I mean, her puppies were like thirty five hundred bucks. Wow, puppies. Wow. Yeah, so this dog's just, oh my God, and she, we fell in love with her, and so she's part of the family, and she's, of course, we've got Jesse and JJ, and we've got other dogs, but uh, we're real dog people, and my daughter has a couple of dogs, too, so we, we spend our time with our dogs, and we bring them to work every day, we come to our shop in Vista and bring our dogs with us. You're kind of like me. We're we're a dog family too. We've got two German shepherds and an old English bulldog who thinks he's a German shepherd. They get into scraps all the time, but they're, it's, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I we call it our little dog family. You know, I mean, so ever since my wife and I've been married, we've always had you know either multiple cats or multiple dogs or both. I mean, we also have uh, let's see, one, two, three, four cats now. One of which is my daughter's. We're kind of babysitting her, but uh, she, he, she's going to be leaving here in probably in a month or two. But yeah, I can definitely relate to you. I mean, that's why I like you so much. We're both, you know, we have a lot in common here. You know, I like that a lot. So, all right, let's, let me ask you this. Um, uh, how is life for you with the 80, you know, you, we talked about it off the air, but, um, you know, you mentioned about 80, you know, you're turning 80 in April. Um, what does that mean to you? I mean, uh, is that, is that a, like another, I mean, is that a milestone or is that something maybe you you wish you could put a few more years back a little bit? I mean, what, what's your thoughts about the turning 80? God, I, you know, I don't know. I'm just, I've been trying to deal with it. You know, I, you know, we're losing a lot of friends. I'm losing a lot of them. I lost Tom McEwen, the mongoose. He was 80, you know, and that's, uh, uh, I'm fortunate, you know, my health is good and everything. And I think it's just another number out there that you have and uh, as long as my health is good I feel I feel okay about it um, it's kind of strange to think that you're 80 years old you know it's uh, uh, it's yeah I'm, I, I'm still trying to deal with that man it's quite a trip you know right the, the fact that you are in good health the fact that you're still competing like in, you know you're hoping to go to yeah. Baja in April the fact that you're still doing a lot of things that has to keep you young I would imagine well, I, I think so. You know, I'll tell you what, I try to eat proper, you know, I'm sipping on a Diet Coke here right now, but I try to try to eat proper and, and I watch my weight big time. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I have to struggle with that the older you get, but you know, I watch my weight and try to keep a, 
an attitude and then find the youngest people you can find to run around with, you know, and I run around with Jagger Jones, man. I feel like I'm, uh, you know, I'm one of the guys, but, <laughs> exactly. uh, you know, at night I, I turn into 80 again, <laughs> but it's okay. It's okay. I just, just gotta, just gotta stay focused and, uh, you know, thank young. Exactly. You know, going back to the book for a second, you know, I, I, I haven't read through yeah. the whole thing, but I mean, I've gone through a good part of it. And one of the things that, you know, I knew this, but the way, uh, you know, your author, your co-author uh, described you and how you described yourself um, was, you know, I know you were, you're, I, I knew you were interracial, but mm -hmm. you talk about in the book about, you know, the, 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 the difficulties you had at times, you know, growing up in the San Fernando Valley, going to school, uh, getting on the racetrack. Tell me about, you know, how was that to deal with? And, and I, the reason I'm asking you this is because this kind of hits home with me. Um, you know, obviously I'm white, but I grew up in an all black neighborhood. So, I mean, I had I mean, my best friend for 45 years before he passed away a year and a half ago was black. I have so many black friends still go back to the old neighborhood every now and then. Um, mm. and you know, a lot of people don't, they don't understand what, you know, being either being interracial or yeah. being involved with people of, of other races like I was and growing up around them. I mean, we spent, uh, what, 25 years in that neighborhood, uh, and, you know, the people were the best. I mean, the absolute best. Our neighbors, I mean, I couldn't think any highly, any more highly of them. They were so good. Well, tell me yeah. about your, your situation. You know, I mean, uh, how difficult was it, and how did you kind of overcome it, if you will? Well, it, it was difficult uh, as a youngster. Uh, at my age now, it's a, it's a piece of cake. Actually, I kind of enjoy it, you know, because, you know, you see... You know, you watch television, you see things about the news, you see things about rioting, you see things about blacks, you see, see things about white. I'm kind of able to put a balance to a lot of that. You know, uh, I think there's black people has done a lot of a lot of terrible things, you know, rioting and so on. And I think there's a lot of white people that's done some terrible things, too. Right. right. You know? So but as a kid growing up, I really didn't know much about that. Uh, you'll read the folks can read it in the book but you know my folks came from Louisiana right. it was a Creole part of Louisiana that they were from but they told me they were from Texas and they were they you know as a kid I'd come home and say hey mom this kid at school called me black mm -hmm. and I go she said well don't pay any attention to that you're French you know I'm actually French right. 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 and so I was taught to to not pay attention to that and that I'm white, I'm strictly white and not, didn't have any racial in, in my bloodline. Right, and right. kept banging that into my head until finally I took a trip down to Louisiana and found out who exactly I was. And I got a, took a DNA test, found out exactly who I was. And it was just a huge relief, but they were trying to protect us from pregnancy. They were trying to protect us coming out here to California and live because, you know, in California, there's just a bunch of people from all around. You weren't really classified uh, as one certain thing, you know. You, you weren't a, a prune picker out here in California. <laughs> a prune picker, all of you're born and raised. And right. I was actually born here, but my folks in Louisiana, the Creole, Creole Park called Cane River down uh, near Shreveport. Okay. And how long were you there before you moved back to California? 
Well, I, I went down there as a kid, uh, you know, you know, uh, on trips and stuff, but not not very long. I, I was just just as a toddler, I was down in uh, in Louisiana. But uh, like I say, I, I I've spent a lot of time down there recently. Mm-hmm. I've met a lot of aunts and people that uh, didn't know I existed or that I didn't know existed, uh, yeah. and it's been uh, been quite a trip. It's been it's been amazing uh, amazing life. Talk about a little bit about the the drag racing world. When you got into drag racing, I understand that there were a lot of people, or not a lot of people, but there were some people that didn't want you racing because of your racial background. Yeah, uh, there was uh, there was a lot of name calling and uh, and so on and things that I had to bite my tongue over, and sometimes I uh, I threw a punch or two. Right. Uh, yeah, that that happened, but you know, Jerry, it wasn't really that bad. You know, I didn't. It, it wasn't too bad, but when it was bad, it was bad. Right. When, but most people had enough respect and so on, and uh, that they, uh, you know, they weren't prejudiced. You know, so. Right. But it was tough. Okay, I'm going to change gears a little bit here. You have been mm-hmm. called over the years, the coolest guy in drag race. I've even heard you called the, being called the coolest di- guy in all of sports. Is that kind of like a, a badge of honor? I mean, and what makes Don Perdome so cool? You know, I have no damn idea how that started. I, I, I have no idea. Just, I mean, Rusty Wallace will say that about me or maybe Ray Abraham or somebody. And I, I, I don't know, man. I just... Uh, uh, I was a big fan of Steve McQueen's and maybe, and, and I knew him a little bit, maybe some of that cool stuff rubbed off on me. I'm not sure. <laughs> right, right, exactly. But I like those guys. Yeah, I mean, they were, they were, they were cool guys to hang out with, you know, so I got to hang with him a little bit back in the early days. And uh, uh, just, he, he was, in my opinion, he was the coolest dude that ever came along. And you're number two then again, I guess then, right? <laughs> uh, uh, to, just to be mentioned in the same breath as him. Uh, exactly, honor. exactly. All right, now, what is something that you still haven't done in your life that you want to achieve? Is there anything on your bucket list that you still want to do? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff, but I don't think it's very possible. I would love to get in an Indy car right. and take a lap around the Indy 500. Not not wide open, but I'd love to drive an Indy car. I've always wanted to drive an Indy car. It's just been a passion of mine. But, you know, in the book, I explain that because uh, Dan Gurney, I got to know Gurney quite well. And right. uh, I used to bug Gurney when he'd come into Keith Black's picking up parts. And I was working in a little shop at Keith Black Racing Engines. And uh, I'd bug him about, hey, man, I'd like to drive an Indy car. How do I get to do that? And so... You know, I finally bugged him enough. One day he said to me, he says, son, if you want to do it bad enough, you'll find a way. And I went, that's a hell of a thing to say to me. But after I thought about it for a while, he was so right. So I never have, I never have, I never was able to jump over and do it because perhaps I didn't want to do it bad enough. I think we all have something in our lives we we regret we haven't done. And uh, I, I regret that I never got that chance but obviously i'm way too old for anything like that but still maybe i could talk to my buddy chip and ask you know let me take a lap around the 
500 one of these times. I was just going to mention about Chip. I, I said, one of his you know, cars. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to call him and say, hey, you got to get down in a car and get him. You know what I mean? Obviously, uh, you know, um, I was, uh, the yeah. one thing that I had was really great was, I think it was 90, I think it was 92, I believe it was. And that was when they just debuted the Dodge Viper. And um, it was before, I'm, I'm sorry, it was just like a couple months before they were going to debut the Dodge Viper. But I was in Indianapolis. And guess who I was, who my driver was? He said, come on, son, we're going to go take a little ride. We're doing 160 down the backstretch. Who do you think that was? Very big name. I'll just tell you, Carol Shelby. Mario? No, Carol Shelby. I mean, that uh, was that was so. Oh, Carol, what a cool. Yeah, it was one oh, of the best, yeah. one of the highlights of my life because I remember as we're going down the back stretch, we came out of turn two at Indy. I remember I had to grab my glasses and hold them because they were they were going like going out like this. They were all, they were going to fall off. And I mean, it just we did. Uh, I think we did two or two or three laps. I, I think it was two. But um, the funny thing is, um, one of the PR people from Dodge said, "How'd you like it?" I said, "Man, that was fantastic." I mean to. Not only be in the car that's coming out, you know, people are talking about how it's going to be so good, and then you know the the icing on the or the, the you know the icing on the cake was Carol Shelby was the driver, and then they said, "Well, you want to take it out for a spin?" I go, "Yeah, sure, I'll do it." And then they said, and then the the, the PR person's boss tapped him on the shoulder, and says, "No, I don't think we can do this." So that kind of came turned me out of that, but I would have loved to do that. But well, I mean, you know, you still could do it. I mean, maybe you should talk to Chip about that. Yeah. So yeah, I just like to take a lap around there. Just you know, put a governor on it or something. But exactly. I mean, those are things. I mean, we all, I just, I just love open wheel racing. You know, I'm just a complete nut about it. Formula One and, and especially Indy cars. Right. I, I'm really big into an Indy car, and and I follow them just real close. I'm real close friends of Mario Andretti's. I, I just love him. I sent him a book, and and uh, my phone rang one day. And he says, "Hey." Mario, your book, <laughs> your book, is fantastic. You know, it was just cool, cool exactly. for him to call, tell me about the book. You know, exactly. This is kind of a tough question to answer, I'm sure. Throughout your career, your life as a whole, what do you consider your biggest regret? My biggest what? Regret. Biggest regret. Right. Oh God, I. Uh, I mean that's a, that's a, that's a strange question. I I, I don't really have any uh, real regrets, you know. I mean I, I married my uh, my uh, school girl, my sweetheart in school that I met there in seventh grade. Right. Uh, I have a wonderful daughter. Man, I I I don't I don't regret anything. I you know the only thing I regret is not being able to drive an Indy car or a Formula One car, but. Outside of that, my, my personal life has been uh, has been fine. I'm, I'm just very uh, very content. Very content. You know, I have to pay you a very high compliment. I mean, there's you know, I've been in this industry for a mm. long time, and I still remember. And th this is maybe you may or may not remember this, but it was after the Cal the Northridge earthquake, which was what was it ninety two? I think it yeah. was. And I remember um, your shop was you know uh, literally right across the way from a building that when I went out to visit you to do a story on you for USA Today, the building was just devastated. Your shop basically was un, unscathed for the most part. But what was really cool was how you said, hey, let's go in the car and let's go take a ride around here. I mean, you know, for me to be with one of my heroes, I mean, obviously as a reporter, but I mean, for to have one of my heroes say, let's go take a ride. And then 
you know, you showed me all the earth, you know, the damage. I mean, we went by the mall, the Northridge Mall, how bad that was over there. And then you said, let's go see Shirley. <laughs> I thought it was the greatest thing. We went to see Shirley Muldowney. She was at home. And I'll never forget, we walked in the door, and the and uh, you asked her, how you doing, Shirley? And the first thing she said is, I'm moving out of this damn state. I'm going back to Michigan. <laughs> and I thought that was so cool. It's one of the one of the <laughs> highlights of my life. And you know, just that that's I think that's what what people you know the fans when they they uh, you know talk about you, see you, hear you, they they like that that coolness. I mean that you could just you know do that. I mean and and I was so honored that you did do that. I mean I was I remember the story I wrote about you. It was a cover story. It took me 26 hours to write because I was a perfectionist about it. My boss kept on saying, are you done with it yet? I go, no, I want to add this in here, and I want to add this in there. Then I had to take a few things out because of the length of the story. But I, I still remember that's one of the highlights of my life that Don Perdome was essentially my chauffeur or my tour guide. My tour guide, he's, he showed me all around, and that was oh, really, really cool. Oh, that is cool. I, you know, I didn't think much about it. I just thought that you'd enjoy going over and saying hi to Shirley, and I still talk to her, you know, she, we still stay in touch, text each other and uh, she's cool. She's tough as nails and she's also 81. Shh, don't, don't tell anyone I told you that. Okay. Well, she's older than I, right. <laughs> so she's older than I, so I can, I can always throw a little dig in there. You know? <laughs> so you are old, right? Exactly. Yes, I'm 81. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, exactly. Just a few more questions I want to go through with you and Don. I mean, um, mm -hmm. what what was the biggest? And this is going to be a really hard question for to answer too. What was the biggest achievement in your career? What was the the number one highlight that Don Prudhomme says of his life? Oh, it would have to be uh, meeting Tom McEwen, becoming buddies with him, and going to Mattel Toy Company, and getting them to sponsor the snake and the mongoose with the Hot Wheel cars. I look, when I look back on my career, that is the single biggest thing that happened to me and mongoose at the time. I still get boxes of toys from Mattel and cars are doing of mine after 50 some odd years or whatever it's been that, uh, that relationship. But I, I really think Mattel, uh, Hot Wheels with the Mongoose, uh, really, if it wasn't for them, I, I don't know where our careers would have gone because it elevated the sport, it elevated Tom, it elevated me, and uh, it really set a path forward in the sport. So I would say the single biggest thing was the Mattel Hot Wheel sponsorship. Gotcha. Outside of marrying my wife and outside of my daughter and outside of everything like that, you know, I, I, I think... That was the biggest thing. Who was your, I mean, I know you and, and, and uh, Tom McEwen were such close friends. He was like yeah. you said, he was your best friend. But was he also your biggest yeah. rival or was there another some person who was your biggest rival? Well, of course he was, yeah. I mean, we, we really battled, you know, when we raced Snake and the Mongoose. But, you know, another tough guy was Don Garlitz. I would say that, uh, and I've said it before, that he was the single toughest guy that I had ever raced uh, at all it was Don Garlett. So uh, I, I raced him plenty. He was very tough, very demanding, you know, but there's been a lot of great ones come along. Kenny Bernstein racing him. And, uh, you know, I, I've had a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of tough guys to race and, uh, you know, and, uh, they, they helped my career. Exactly. Exactly. Um, 
what what do you what are your thoughts about NHRA today? I mean, obviously they went through a very difficult t time last year. They lost a lot of races because of the COVID virus. Yet they still managed to put on you know a decent season with all the you know the the, the roadblocks they had between you know uh, states shutting down so that stopped racing. They had to reschedule some races, re, you know, relocate some races. They, they I mean, this year already yeah. they had to post or uh, um, cancel the the Pomona Winter Nationals, a season opener. They had to cancel the next race in Phoenix. Now they're going to start the season in uh, the Gator Nationals in Florida uh, in mid March. What what do you think about you know where the NHRA is today and how, how what are your thoughts about how they overcame last year? Well, I I, I mean they're struggling. You know they they're. You know, then lo and behold, uh, Coca-Cola backed out of their sponsorship they had with them, which was a real shame. Right. But uh, Camping World came along. So, you know, they picked up Camping World in a week's time. So I think between Camping World and NHRA, I think they're going to survive. I believe that we all need first thing is to get that vaccine in our in our arms you know mm -hmm. where we can start opening up some of these tracks and restaurants and so on but not only is nhra struggling there's a lot of restaurants and businesses that are struggling too so this pandemic has really raised hell uh in every walk of life i think and um nhra like i've said before that uh, the races will cut the lock off to get in there to race. They don't care how much money's up or what, they just want to go race their cars. So I think NHRA is always going to have competitors. I think the, the, the Connie Colettas and the Don Schumachers and the, and the John Forces and all those guys are going to survive and they're going to go out there and race. And uh, we just got to get past this next year. I think this is going to be the biggest challenge we ever had is getting through 2021. It's going to be the the big challenge for NHRA to get through that. And fortunately, they got Camping World to help them. Exactly. Is is the competition today on the NHRA side? Is it as good as it was back yeah. in your day? Is it better? Is it? I mean, how do you? How do you? I mean, can you compare racing back in your day compared to today? Well, it's it's apples and oranges. It's just two different things. You know, back in my day, we could buy. Uh, uh, an engine from Keith Black, you know, for four or five thousand dollars, and buy a supercharger for that. Right. You know, right. For for an engine, uh, it's just very expensive. But you have to look at the people that are doing it. But our racing is no different than IndyCar racing and other forms of racing. You got a Roger Penske, you've got a Chip Ganassi, you got uh, Andretti's, uh, you've got a lot of big teams, and we still have that in drag racing. Those those are big teams. And they're going to survive. They're going to survive and going to be going to be well. Just got to get past this pandemic. Okay. Well, one other question I wanted to ask you is fans. You have always been a big fan favorite. You mentioned you still get letters and that kind of thing. How heartening is that to you that fans still want to know what's going on with Don Perdome? They still want to know, you know, what he's doing these days. They still want to see him at the racetrack, maybe get autographs and that kind of thing. How, yeah. how, how does that make you feel inside? Well, that makes me feel good. They, they uh, you know, I, I appreciate it too, because, you know, I'm just like anybody else, you know, I get a little lonely and a little, little, you know, a little down. And then all of a sudden I'll get a fan letter from someone and it'll pick me up, you know, and, and the book has been just a marvelous thing because it's, it's really been well-received. I'm really happy with that. Elanke Lanashare 
did a hell of a job with it and uh, CarTech putting it all together. And uh, by the way, for your fans that I just happen to have a copy <laughs> right here, com, and I'll autograph it for you. Whoever would like it, I'll autograph it. And, uh, but uh, yeah, that's how you can get it, snakeracinggear.com. Great, great. Don, we, you know, we've covered a lot in this uh, interview. And is there anything uh -huh. that we haven't talked about that you would like to see? I mean, this is what, kind of like my signature when I do interviews like this. I always want to give the, you know, the subject I'm interviewing one opportunity to say whatever they want to do. You know, they want to promote something. They want to talk about something that we didn't talk about that you felt is important. I mean, is there anything that you would want to add to what we've done so far today? Well, just just really the only thing. Listen, my life, I, I, I'm very happy. I, I've been, uh, uh, you know, been blessed. I'm, I'm happy with it. Um, uh, but I think I think mainly the thing that 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 bothers me is the sport itself. I, I'm just I'm just hoping that that we can pull out of this. This is going to be a difficult year, and I'm and I'm encouraging the fans at every chance they get to go to a drag race and support the NHRA because we need that. And I I'm so proud that myself, Mongoose, Garland, Shirley, people like that were able to build this sport. Uh, and, and have a fan following, but most of all, having crew members and crew chiefs that can make a living doing this. To watch people make a living drag racing was something I never thought I would see as a, as a young kid growing up playing around with cars, but to see that happen and it's, it's I'm very happy with that. It's really, it's, it's impressive, you know, to, see the sport growing the way it has, but we just need the support behind it. So I'm just urging everyone to get out to the track, pay attention, please watch it on television because the ratings would really help us. Exactly. As we were concluding this interview with Don Perdome, he told us a rather interesting story that involved him, Tony Stewart, and NHRA drag racer, Leah Pritchett. And I felt obliged to include it in here. Have a listen. I fixed him up. Did you? I introduced I Tony. Yeah, yeah. I was. I introduced Tony to Leah. That's how they met. We were out riding off-road cars at Ron right. Pratt's place. Right. Right. They right. do that after Barrett uh, Jackson, like Rusty, Gordon, uh, Stewart, a bunch of guys. Right. Know? So I was part of that group. Well, Leah called me, and I was just talking to her on on the phone, you know, right. and it was. Uh, what do they call that voice uh, or uh, FaceTime? Face I was FaceTime. Right, right, right. So Stuart walks by and he sees this girl on the phone. He says, who's that? And I said, it's Leah. And he grabbed my phone. And next thing I know, he started talking to Leah. And the next thing I know, they're going out. So I'll be darned. So I, I, I kind of fixed him up. <laughs> Ask him, he'll tell you. Don Prudhomme, yeah. matchmaker. Yeah, that's another thing we can yeah. add to your list of things. So anyway. She's a real pal. I really like her, you know, she's really cool. Exactly. And to see those two hook up, it's it's kind of, it's kind of a real cool thing. Yeah, very, very nice. <laughs> well, that, Don, I can't thank you enough for this interview. You have been fantastic, as you always are. And uh, you know, oh. you're gonna, you're, you're going to be eighty, but you're still, you know, to me, you're like yeah. you're forty still. You still got a lot to do. So 
Uh, thank you ever so much for taking the time. Good luck and uh, you know, best of success with the book, you know, the sales and all that kind of thing. Good luck in yeah. in uh, April if they, you know, if you do 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 Baja. I'm looking forward to you. To, I want you to win that. I'm I'm, I'm I may want to put down a few dollars and say, hey, I'm betting on Don Perdomo and, and uh, um, you know uh, uh, Jagger Jones to win this whole thing. So thank you ever so much for taking the time and stay safe out there. Yeah. And we'll be looking for you. We'll be. Maybe I might catch up in, with you in Indianapolis. I'm hoping to get down there as well, too. So thank you ever so much for taking the time here. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks, Jerry. Nice to be on your show. Good luck with it. Thank you. Thank you. Was that not a great interview or what? Don the Snake Perdome, the legendary NHRA drag racer. Very pleased and very happy that Don was able to spend such time with us here on the Racing Beat Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. And next week, we're going to have another Racing Royalty, NASCAR Hall of Famer Rusty Wallace. You don't want to miss that. And also, don't forget about last week's podcast, the initial debut of the Racing Beat podcast, where we talked with NASCAR Hall of Famer Ray Evernham. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Racing Beat, and we will talk to you next week right here on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Jerry Bunkowski. Have a good week, everyone. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.